I just saw Tommy driving this hearse and I kind of, you know, I kind of ran with that and I just like Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from Cinema Sins, joined as always by the voice of Cinema Sins, Jeremy Scott. Hello, and from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello, we have a very special guest here today. Oh, yeah, boy. we are interviewing him. He is Mark from the Room. He is the <laughs> author of The Disaster Artist. We have Greg Sestero. Yay! Here. <laughs> um, you know the 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 biggest problem with having you on is that I feel like you've been asked every question about the room that can possibly be asked. Is that true? Um, that's that's the amazing thing about the room is that it always overwhelms people, and I feel like there's it, it's such a singular experience hmm. when you see the room that either you love it and it baffles you, or you want. 99 minutes of your life back <laughs> yeah usually, usually people are their questions are really genuine and, and it, i would feel the same way too like how did this get made why did this get made what were you thinking did you think it would be great so because i was in that position and i got to witness it firsthand it's always interesting to me to to talk to people about their experience experience seeing the room so um i mean there's always new questions that do pop up you know but i've uh when I wrote the book, I feel like I answered a lot of it, but there's still a lot left to be said. I imagine so. Like <laughs> I've tried to describe to people who haven't ever seen the room what is so unique about it, about why is it why why this movie out of all the bad movies that you could possibly right. there's a there's a ton of these. They just aren't as memorable as this this is. Um you 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 can't even you don't even know where to start because uh the the Tommy Wiseau acting performance is very very strange it's something you've never seen before yep uh he's writing and directing and saying these lines he wrote and he's directing himself and it just becomes this blender of just oddities and you don't know where exactly to start going where how do, yeah you don't know where how did this get made doesn't even really begin to start <laughs> on what what the experience is of watching the room um i got introduced to the room about nine years ago somebody showed me a trailer and i was like why are we i i, I know there's this whole prop prop bad stuff up and as as entertainment type of thing i was like i'm not gonna watch this and I ended up watching it three times <laughs> <laughs> True. it was just like the movies where they say i'm not doing this ever i'm not doing it and then you're in the theater the next scene um so uh i guess I, i'm i'm gonna ask questions and hope that they're somewhat they somewhat lead us to newer questions uh how did Tommy Wiseau feel about you writing the book, The Disaster Artist? So I got the idea to write the book in April of 2010. We were in Boston at the Coolidge Theater doing a show. And it was really the first time I went with him on the road for a live screening. Because mm -hmm. it really started to take off in 2009, 2010. So I thought to myself, like, what do you do with this experience it's not going to get you acting work obviously mm, right i tried that <laughs> <laughs> um but i knew there was a great story here i knew tommy was an amazing character one-of-a-kind character i knew our story was 
insane. And now it looked like there was an ending for it. Like the movie now had an audience. So I went with them to Boston and there was like three nights of sold out shows and interviews. And it kind of came on to me like this story could make a great movie. Cause I, I loved Ed Wood and sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. and, and movies about Hollywood. And I thought who would, who, what actor wouldn't want to play a character like Tommy. So I told him that weekend, I was like, you know, I think, I think what I want to do with this is I want to write a book about my experience and, and, and tell more people about who you are and where you came from. And so I started interviewing him right there and I asked him questions. He opened up about his time living in France and really like not jokey stuff. He really was serious and, and heartfelt. And I was like, that's what this book is. It's not poking fun at the room or, or, or going on about what a bad movie it is. It's really about two guys following their dream who are very different and it's giving a look into to Tommy really was. So that's kind of how it started. And then I got really lucky because I, I stayed on tour with him for about a year as I was writing the book. And I got to like be around him and all these things came back about how he gets into restaurants and doesn't wait in line and things he would say. And so I became so obsessed with the book that I wanted every line of dialogue in that book to be something he said in that moment or has said. And I send myself all these crazy emails like, dialogue to go here and there and i go over him with my <laughs> with my co-author and we go back and forth and really uh i became obsessed with telling the story so i think initially he, he thought it was, a, it was a good idea and he supported it and then i think you know because tommy is uh you know he's controlling and he's got a very specific way of looking at life i think he wanted to have something kind of to do with the book creatively and i thought you know i supported you in making the room i didn't give you any creative ideas. <laughs> I just supported you and said, dude, if that's what you want to do. And I feel like that's kind of what I wanted with the book. It's like, we both had our own vision hmm. and I think they both kind of helped us out in our own way. Even if we didn't believe in each other's project, like I think Tommy's come around now and appreciates the book and, and, and I appreciate the room as well. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much how it started. So I, he was the first person I really told and, and wanted, you know, and I interviewed him and I only wanted to put stuff in the book that were things he told me and that were things he felt comfortable sharing because one of the great things about the room and Tommy is the mystery. And I feel like if you give too much of that away, it's just not interesting anymore. And Mm. so I wanted to preserve a lot of that. I totally agree. By the way, I I almost don't want the mystery to ever be solved (laughs) about him. Uh, I know at first when I watched it, I wanted to know everything about him, how the, where he came from, what, what led him to make this and everything. But now I don't know. I guess I've just gotten steeped down into this thing too, too much <laughs> yeah. to be like, I, I don't want to know if I, it'll ruin it. If I, if I know too much. Um, and, and I know that people have tried. I know that there's some people, other people have written books about this movie too, right? They, they've gotten trying to get as much information as they can. Yeah. I think there's been a, like a, a fan book written and some other things, but I think at this point, even if Tommy came out and just, you know, he says New Orleans and, and we've been to New Orleans and, uh, you know, and I, I think people still wouldn't believe myself. I think they would hang on to what they believe, like he's a Croatian cyborg or a vampire from Transylvania. Or, you know, I feel like it's just it, it becomes your own opinion at this point. And I think that's a that's a big part of the fun. Well, that's the interesting part. You mentioned his reaction to the book and, and your reaction to the book. The movie sounds like it translates it a little bit differently. So what was your reaction to the movie? What was Tommy's reaction to it? To the disastrous? Yeah, yeah. the movie. 
I really liked the movie. I thought, um, you know, the, the Greg character was, you know, more, I think more hopeful, more positive in the film. And I think you needed that because, you know, you're telling a story to a universal audience that hasn't seen the room, doesn't maybe know Hollywood. And they're like, what do we want to see a movie about a guy who knew this movie was going to be bad? Like, why was he still in it? Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think it was much more powerful to focus on the friendship and these two guys following their dream and just, you know, Greg kind of being that hopeful young actor that like all of us that want to follow our dream and, and, and keep faith in it. And I thought um, that kind of change was smart. And I think the film um, was also great because a lot of people saw it who never heard of the room and thought it was a good movie and they didn't believe we were real. They were like, is this really based on a true story? So I thought that was effective. Uh, and I know Tommy said he approved of the book 40%, but he approves of the disaster artist movie 99%. <laughs> and so James, James asked him like, well, the movie's based on the book. Like what, what's missing? And he's like, well, you know, the, the, the book has French style. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know what what exactly it was, but, uh, <laughs> but we both I think we both loved the movie. There was a lot of love put into it. Uh, the cast was great. Just the whole experience of uh, the way that film was put together and everybody in it just wanted to to tell the story. And it was really uh, I mean, it was just an amazing experience across the board. Did you? That's what I wanted to ask. Was that how involved you got to be? Did you get to be on set? Did they use you as a resource? Did they just sort of like? make a deal with you and then say, we don't want to talk to you anymore. Like how much input did you get to have? Well, the biggest thing was finding people that get the story. And I think that I could sense that right away. So, so for me, I really just wanted to be there if they needed anything, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's their, their film. I wanted, I was really excited to see what they would do with it. And so I was pretty much there if they ever needed anything and they were really cool. I mean, I got to go to the set quite a bit. Uh, I got to pull out all the old pictures and I got to work with the production designer, awesome. uh, Chris Spellman, who did This is the End and a bunch of movies for them. He was just super cool. We, they, they recreated what my bedroom looked like and the car <laughs> I was driving and they just, uh, yeah, it was, they, everything was, was so much fun. Uh, awesome. you know, I got to go to the set when Brian Cranston was there and try to ask him questions about Breaking Bad and not look like too much of a star. <laughs> awesome. um, and, uh, yeah, no, I mean it was they, they were they were really great. That's awesome. I take it that you that you uh that you liked Dave Franco's uh portrayal of you then if if you liked also the changes that they that they made to you in the movie, I guess as well. You did you did you enjoy his performance? Yeah, I mean Dave is we're similar in a lot of ways. He's from Northern California. We're both Warriors fans. <laughs> um we both kind of got into weird movies early on starting out. He was in a movie called bad meat or something like that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we spent, you know, we spent time talking about those early days of trying to be an actor. And I remember he was asking me like, is there any, at any point did you think the room had a chance? And cause I, I think, he, I think for Dave, he was trying to figure out like, what's Greg's Tommy's such an overwhelming character. He's like, what's Greg's motivation? What's his, you know, what's his thing for staying there? And so he, he was trying to figure out, was it because I maybe I thought it'd be good. I'm like, no, mm, yeah. <laughs> but you can use that if you need it. And so um, I think that, yeah, like I said, I think they did a good job 
building it on the friendship. But Dave was, yeah, I thought Dave was great. He had never seen the room before James called him up and said, I want to make a movie about this book based on this movie. Check it out. Dave said he was in his hotel room and started watching it. And he's like, oh, man, I think James James is off on this one. But Dave ended up, he ended up coming around and saying he's seen the room more than any other film at this point. So, uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, I think I th- the room kind of won everybody's won everybody over. Yeah. yeah. I think he said something in the commentary for the disaster artist that he was going around to all the screenings. And I was like, I, I can't, I can't imagine how many screenings he must've gone to for research on this film. It had to have been a lot. And, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. I bet he watched it a hundred times. Wow. Um, but I don't, I don't know the actual number, but I'm assuming it's something like that. Yeah. What, what was the tipping point? I don't want to derail the conversation too much, but this is very interesting to me. Did you see a tipping point from, what was it? 2002 that it it debuted? 2003. 2003 to when it became cult status. So you said like what, seven, eight, nine years later on, what, what was the impetus for it? Or do you even know? Uh, yeah. So the premiere, I saw something at the premiere. Well, really, I saw something in this when I first showed my family and friends like the dailies and rough cut months before the room ever premiered. And they were laughing through the whole thing like they couldn't get enough of it. They <laughs> thought it was just insane. And and there's, so I knew there was humor there. And then at the premiere, I walked out about five minutes in because I knew that the sex scenes were coming. And I just I don't know, I felt kind of claustrophobic. Oh, yeah, I would. But too. I peeked back in about halfway through and it was getting laughs in all these crazy places when the doorbell would ring. <laughs> and so there was I, I saw it was almost like it was this perfect comedy in a way. And, and I thought that was going to be it, really, because it was, you know, this drama. And so Tommy kind of rolled with it. And these film students discovered it. And. Uh, these two guys, Michael Rousselet, who started Five Second Films, huh. he walked by the the um, the marquees. It would show once a month at the Lemley Sunset Five, and then it was around 2008. I, I got a a message from a reporter at Entertainment Weekly named Clark Collis. Hmm. He uh, he had just seen the film in L.A. and he thought it was one of the craziest movie experiences he's ever had, and he <laughs> wanted to write about it. So he interviewed me, and I didn't really know what to say. I didn't know what this was going to be about. And then a few months later, there was a six page article in entertainment weekly that, you know, went over the whole thing, how long it's been playing that there's celebrity fans. And, um, it just kind of blew it up. And then from that point on, it started playing in London, it would in London as well in LA, New York, and it was selling out every month. And it just kind of caught on at that point. So I think it was really, um, the cult being kept alive by the film students, the creatives living in LA and just kind of word them out. It was one of those movies that I don't know if it'll ever happen again in the same way. Cause it was really kept alive by people who just loved this movie huh. and it really nothing in it. Like there was no publicist or studio. It was just a group of people that liked this movie so much that would talk about it. Hmm. And, uh, and it just, it kept spreading. Wow. It's gotta feel pretty cool to be involved with something like that, man. I would think. Well, that's the that's what was so great about the movie version of the Disaster Artist is getting people like Kevin Smith and like Adam Scott and all those guys at the beginning saying just what you said, Greg. Where it's like this is something that was lightning captured in a bottle that maybe never will never happen again. That everybody wants, but it's it's almost impossible to attain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to give credit to um, you know to Tommy. 
for several reasons because you know we were actors living in LA at the time and, and nobody wanted anything to do with him really he'd go to these classes he was the outcast he was laughed at you know no agent you know he'd send his headshots in and I'd be like Tommy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna get cast as Tom Cruise man um mm-hmm. And but he still kept going and thought, hey, I have something to tell, and and I'm I, I know I can be powerful as an actor. And you know, he went and put everything he had on the line to, to make something. And and none of us really believed it'd go anywhere. I mean, anybody with common sense would think there's no stars in this movie, there's no studio, the story is what it is. Um, and uh, you know, he just kept persevering. And I think. Um, you know, he's really kind of the engine behind the film. When you watch him come on screen, you immediately ask, who is that and what the hell is going on? Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Just, and so I saw that early on in the acting class, and, and, and I really believe that in the right role, he could deliver an interesting performance and be um, charismatic and intriguing. And I just think in the room, it became something so insane because he's playing a leading man banker. Yeah. And normally you'd never see that, unless obviously he had creative control, he had the money to back it. And so it's a movie we should have never really gotten because nobody would ever back it. And so we were treated to something so unique that, um, you know, 16 years later, almost we still (laughs) can't believe happened. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're right about this. Maybe never. I mean, it's going to have to have a very unique set of circumstances like the room has. And, and if it's not for Tommy Wiseau being a part of like every single part of this movie, there it's that movie is 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 nothing like what we know it as and everything. I think Kristen Bell at the beginning of the Disaster Artist says if you had the five best directors try to direct this, it would be in a completely different world. <laughs> and uh, and it's and it's absolutely correct. You've seen other movies try. Well, they haven't tried, but there's other movies that have. <laughs> have uh you know have they've tried to get this sort of cult status like birdemic which i don't think birdemic has even gotten close to this like it our local Belcourt plays the room as an annual thing mm-hmm. like i think it's a biannual thing at this point birdemic played one time as far as i know and it just it doesn't have that same kind of thing it's bad in a very unique way yeah but it doesn't have that same thing that brings you back over and over and over again uh, whereas the room has so many elements to it that it's it's a it's a just a curiosity. Um, I I've always I've always argued that you can never make these movies on purpose. By the way, too, you can't make them. You can't make a movie. I'm going to make a movie like the room and not have at least some sort of like self awareness to it, and 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 where you're not at least just joking about your subject. This is this is something that he took on very seriously, right? I mean, he was very serious about this. Yeah, that's really I think the secret with any great film or bad film is you need to have a group of people that are really passionate, that are giving everything they have to make the greatest film that they can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, the room for Tommy was a crowd for help. I mean, when you're a struggling actor in LA and you're just getting told no all the time, I mean, you wonder like, do I have anything to offer? And I think he was at a point where he was, it was, he was just screaming out like, Hey, I, I have something like this is, this is my life. He even said at the premiere. And so, you know, I, I think everyone in the room was, doing the best they could with the material everyone starting out was thinking i mean this movie was shot on 35 millimeter film if you can believe that yeah yeah and so back then it was 
a big thing. And so we figured, hey, you get something for your reel. It's something to show to move up as an actor. So everybody was doing their best in the situation. I think that also adds something because as soon as you have people that are self-aware and they think they're making something funny or cheesy, it's just it's not watchable. And I think the room has so much uh, charm also because it was made by a pretty professional crew. Mm-hmm. It uh, shot we really, shooting, really nicely. <laughs> we were shooting at we were shooting at Burns and Sawyer, this great film company, and so they they got all these guys that you know, these you know how to knew, know how to make a decent film, and so I think the, the room is watchable. I mean, even though you know it's out of focus a few times, mm-hmm. I mean the green screen. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no comment. But I think <laughs> it uh, it's a watchable movie, and I think that helps add to it as well. Yeah. You were uh, you were talking about getting uh, Tommy Wiseau in the right role and everything. I kind of think this best friends thing might be that kind of role. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, because you have put him. I mean, you guys have put him in another kind of. This time it's kind of a role though that is already weird. It's already a weird role. He plays a guy who dresses up dead people with masks to make uh. them look good. Or whatever, and all this time he's been collecting gold teeth. Uh, <laughs> and it, best friends, both these volumes are very pulpy. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a pulp aspect to them where you're like, wow, what a what a strange <laughs> like story this is. This guy's been collecting gold teeth, and we don't know why. And then like <laughs> this homeless guy, you comes in. <laughs> And it's like, hey, we can sell these teeth on the sly. <laughs> and it's like, it's like there's these, there's something, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but there are some moments in these best friends movies that are hilarious to me because they're so straightforward, but the, the stuff that's going on screen is absolutely insane they there's a guy there's a they have a broker selling gold teeth in this movie (laughs) like this is the most natural thing in the world this is what you like this is selling cocaine in a back alley or something so tell me the process because you wrote the scripts for these right so i wrote the script in like four days okay i had an edible late one night and I started gathering all these weird experiences that I've had with Tommy and picturing this alternate universe of us living in, in a different Los Angeles that has nothing really to do with acting. And I just, I just saw Tommy driving this hearse and I kind of, you know, I kind of ran with that and I just let me take me to the next. And it was just it's absolutely insane. I mean, the story was coming together and I, I could see it. I, I could see the dialogue. I could see what Tommy was wearing. And then you talk about the teeth thing. So my brother's a dentist. Mm-hmm. And so legit people sell gold teeth. Wow. There's a thing <laughs> gold because gold now is worth like 1300 bucks an ounce. Yeah. So actually, there's a good amount of money to be made. And so he had this bag of gold teeth lying around. And uh, so we actually use real teeth in the film. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> and so I pictured, I just put put it together and I just rolled with it. So in four days, I wrote this script and I pitched it to Tommy. And uh, I thought for sure he was going to say no. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, yeah, we, we can try. We're going to try to make a movie. But uh, I have one request. <laughs> And the request is, what if you and I are same height in movie? 
(laughs) (laughs) And so I didn't know like how that worked in, but I'm like, if that's what you want, Tommy, we'll do whatever you, whatever you want, we'll do it. And so we got these platform heels made for him. We went out and started shooting the movie and I rehearsed with him at night because uh, from the disaster artist, I, I know, when I, when I was working on his dialogue, I, I can think like him at this point. So a lot of the dialogue I wrote things he would say or, or how that I felt like would be interesting to his character. And we rehearsed and kind of he'd show up and we, um, you know, he was, I thought he was really good in these movies. I thought, uh, he, I, and I didn't, we didn't want to try to like, you know, poke fun or make a, make a kind of a jokey character, or a caricature of who, uh, of the room. We just wanted him to be Tommy and, and let him, shine in the best way that he could and so we really took it seriously and i think like you're saying some of the situations are so ridiculous but we played them as straight as we could like i never thought for a second let's try to be in on the joke here i was like we're telling the story and we're going for it and so that's what that's what was kind of fun for me is that when i saw the movie with an audience for the first time they would laugh at these random parts that i had no idea had any humor in them yeah and so uh i thought that was really interesting because we played straight pretty much the whole time and and tried to take it as seriously as possible so it's funny when you say that you could tell like it's we're legitimately going for it but if you like pull back the situations are just so ridiculous like in the best uh parody movies like airplane or whatever and i know you're not going for an airplane type Mm. movie or anything but (laughs) but that would be a good idea yeah yeah yeah. um uh you know like those there's not and and it's it's because you are playing it so straight laced there's no winking there's no like look up into the sky there's no like there's reverence yeah right for for the performance absolutely and so if you if you take some of the situations some of the dialogue at face value it becomes funny because you're just like do they realize how insane that just sounded (laughs) it doesn't seem like they do (laughs) (laughs) and uh and so i took a a great amount of amusement out of it and and you're right about uh i think i think he's actually i think tommy was always is actually pretty good in this (laughs) just because i think this time relieved of the burden of having to direct the film himself Mm. and not writing his own you know not having to say his own dialogue and everything he can just concentrate on just that and yes he still has that weird affectation but it's perfect for that role. We talk about this with Keanu Reeves all the time. Yeah, yeah. Keanu Reeves, you put him in the right thing. Keanu Reeves is amazing. You put him in something that just doesn't, you <laughs> Shakespeare. know. Shakespeare. Yeah, you put him in Shakespeare, <laughs> it doesn't work at all. But uh, yeah, I, I I I was interested. This the volume one. I I after after volume one, I was like you could really go a lot of places with these characters. <laughs> like they, this could just get into some weirder and weirder territory and to great credit. Volume two feels like a completely different movie. It feels like the second episode of a, of a, a long TV show. Huh. And, um, and I really liked how volume two went, went along too. <laughs> it's uh, it's just as insane and ridiculous, but it's got, it's got that, I like I said, it's got that pulp feel to you. There's a little grunge to it. And I really like that. So, <laughs> You know. Yeah, what I really liked about Volume Two is I got to work with another buddy of mine who plays Uncle Rick. Oh yeah, and uh, so we met we met like 2004 modeling in Japan together. We were shooting these like really weird catalog uniforms, 
And uh, so Rick used to be a soap star back in the 80s. And um, and I used to watch him as a kid on this soap called Santa Barbara. Oh, yeah. So we became friends and then lost touch. And then when I was writing the script, I thought of him and I wrote this part based on him. Like his name is Rick Edwards. I just called him Uncle Rick and wrote the whole part. And I spent like a few months trying to track him down. And I finally got a hold of him. And sure enough, he had moved from L.A. to Tucson, was working construction Wow. And driving a white pickup truck. And it was exactly the story that I wrote in the script for him. Wow. <laughs> I think he thought I was like some weird stalker. At first. I'm like, dude, I wrote this part for you. But um, yeah, he came on and I thought he was great. People have really responded well to him. So I got really lucky to, to meet a, a character like Tommy. And then all of a sudden now be able to work with Rick, who people are, are saying in some ways kind of steals the craziness in volume two yeah Um, so uh but both movies were really fun to make i think it was fun for me all these years later to try to go make something not affiliated with the room and and really try to take the audience in a different direction and give them something fresh uh i realized how rewarding that was because i know you know the room is great and it's it's amazing with how the fans have embraced it and all the cool things that have come from it but i think at the end of the day like if you love movies and want to make films there's no, no greater reward than going out and, and telling stories. You, When you did Volume 1, I'm assuming that you knew a Volume 2 was coming because Volume 1 is right there in the title. Um, but but did, did were, you able, were you able to make Volume 2 because of a success of Volume 1? I don't know how the business side of these movies work because um i only i only saw it on amazon prime i don't know if it got any kind of theatrical release is that sort of the 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 model for uh trying to get the movie seen is to try to get it on a streaming service so i wrote it as one film and we made it as one film oh okay we got we got into the editing room and they're like dude i don't know this is these are two crazy stories that are so different that I feel like if we make them one movie, you're going to lose what's fun about each one. Hmm. And we were showing, we were doing like a a premiere in London for, for the movie. And we just didn't have time to get, you know, the, the movie all, you know, figured out. And so we we showed, we showed part one and said, let's, how does the audience is going to respond? And they, they really, really flip for it. So we showed it in theaters, uh, you know, most of last year it had a premiere with Fathom Events last April. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then volume two was in June, I believe. And then it got released um, in January on um, on Blu-ray and, okay. uh, and digital as well. So it, it got to play in theaters around the world. And because um, I think uh, these movies are also fun to see with an audience. There's no spoons that are thrown. Yeah, <laughs> right. No kidding. But, uh, but I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a fun film to come see with your friends. It's got the craziness. And so, uh, and then it's also great now that people can watch it, can watch it digitally. But um, yeah, we were lucky because, because of the room and the disasters and all that, we, we were able to release it theatrically as well. That's awesome. I, I, I just, I just kind of wondered how those, how those went about. Cause I'm seeing a lot of these, there's a lot of these sort of DIY type movies being made mm-hmm. and I'm wondering what the ultimate goal is. It, it feels like it's really just to be seen most of the time. You just want people to see your work. There doesn't seem to be like a real big financial aspect to it, but maybe I'm completely wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, cinema was born, you know, with a crowd and, and being able to see it in a movie theater. I think that's still number one, but 
you know, for some projects and some movies, it just, it doesn't make much sense. It's better to just put it out there on streaming and have people be able to see it. Cause yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, the goal is that people experience your film and hopefully get something from it. And, um, you know, so it just, it just depends now whether there's the, an audience that'll go to the theater for it or if it's better for them to just binge it at home. So, uh, I think each project has to figure that out, um, and see what the audience wants. Mm -hmm. what about writing um do you want to write any more books do you uh <clears throat> have any more stories you want to tell in print yeah i will i've been writing uh the next thing i want to do is make a horror film oh okay. nice and so i've been writing that script and it's been a lot of fun um it hasn't come together in four days though um, wow. yeah but... <laughs> you, you gotta find that edible again yeah yeah, yeah. uh but yeah it's a, it's a cult movie it's a it's a movie about a cult that lives in the desert that's what i'm working on right now and um and uh it's been a lot of fun to, to write something new i think this is this will be a fun step because it'll be something really different and horror has been my favorite genre for a while i really liked hereditary and it follows and, yeah uh get out so um yeah, I'm gonna try to do something really, really different, and um, and and see where that goes. Do you want to act in that project as well, or are you just kind of writing it now, and we'll see where it goes? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I really, you know, what stood out to me the most about about making best friends was the writing and the producing part. I really enjoyed hmm. um, because it was it was fun to write these characters, to think of these places, and then bring them to life. Um, and in some ways I enjoyed that more than acting uh, because I realized how rewarding that was to see other actors come in and, and play their characters and do their scenes and, and see where the story goes. So, you know, I definitely obviously love acting, but um, I, um, you know, don't have to, you know, put myself in every film, but if there's a role that, that I'm intrigued by, I mean, I, I would love to try to do something, like I said, really different, especially as an actor hmm. um, and just try something I've never done before. I think that would be fun. Well, I assume if you're living in L.A., you're in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you can see me in the back window, but it might be a little too tinted. To... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm excited for that movie, actually. Uh, it's oh, yeah. It's probably my most anticipated movie of this year. For sure. Uh, you're currently working on a movie called Big Shark. Can you say anything about that? Um, yeah, that was uh, so. Tommy had an idea to do a shark film, and he um, he put together a uh, a teaser, and um, I was trying to push him to say like, hey, if you're going to make a shark movie, think Shape of Water, but with a shark. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry, but we are different. We are different. Page. <laughs> he wants to make it big. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was thinking, you know, that, that was one of the ideas I had is like, you know, I, uh, if you're going to go, you know, the shark thing is, has been done with quite a few times now. So I was thinking my uh, my original take on the whole shark genre would be to to do it as a shape of water type. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Maybe that's the edibles talking. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Could be. Is that, is, that, is that supposed to come out this year sometime? Uh, I don't know. I think he's... Uh, you know the, he's he's still forming it all so uh okay well there's all there's some other interesting credits on your imdb page and and just wondered if you had any stories about them but uh i see gattaca on there got a movie that i really love mm -hmm. uh uh accepted which is uh which is a funny movie yep. ed tv uh and uh what's the other one patch adams patch adams yeah 
uh anything that you took out of those uh experiences that you'd like to share yeah i think patch adams was probably the most memorable because it's i think the only one that i'm in uh that I made the cut. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I got to, I got to hang out with Robin Williams that day and it uh, taught me a lot about how to treat people and fans. And he was just really cool and gracious. And I mean, I was literally an extra background to, to the family. Um, yeah. In, in the film, his girlfriend had passed away and I was playing the brother or even just, you know, and so he explained to me the whole scene and treated me like I was one of them. And awesome. I remember I never forgot that. And he was cracking jokes and, um, you know, just kind of getting to spend the day around Robin Williams was, was unforgettable. And of course I got to piss off Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> at the same time who I thought was an extra as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see. I, yeah. I hadn't seen big Lebowski or boogie nights, uh, at the time. That's and awesome. uh and i just went up to him and was like so uh what extra role are you playing and he just looked at me and just looked away and was like get the hell away from me and it was so strong that when i later did see boogie nights i was like that's the extra from patch adam <laughs> <laughs> and so uh i think that day was probably the one that taught me the most and accepted uh what was bizarre uh, connection to that actually was produced by the same guy who did Patch Adams, Tom Shadia. Mm -hmm. And so when I was on the set of Accepted several years later in LA, Tom Shadia, who directed Patch Adams, was there, and I went up to him, and he's like, "Oh, you're here now." <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a funny, uh, funny connection. That and is funny. Yeah. Another one that I really enjoyed making um, a film called Dubro Party Massacre Three. Oh, I've heard of this. I haven't seen it though. It's actually a really fun horror comedy, and it's directed by Michael Rousselet. He's one of the directors who was the very first Room fan, who oh. like was the one who started the cult. And so we made this year, we had this movie a few years ago. It's actually a really fun movie. Huh. Um, I definitely recommend it. They, uh, they obviously he has a great sense of humor. If he got the Room, you know, fifteen years ago. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, Dubro Party Massacre Three is one I definitely recommend for. Awesome. I'm definitely going to watch that. I've I've heard of this movie a couple of times, and <laughs> and uh, and it's even I think it's even got the classic uh, '80s cover art on it too. Yes, it does. It's an uh, exploding head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It does. And Pat Pat Oswalt's in it as well. Andrew WK, and um, it's a really it's a fun time. That's awesome. Nice. It's going on a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess some random uh, some random thoughts that occurred to me that there does seem to be some callbacks to the room in those best friends movies, and maybe they were unintentional. But obviously, the title itself is is something that's very well known from the room. Yeah. You know, he he's <laughs> my best, best friend. friend, yeah, and all that. <laughs> so that's one of the things. There's even a there's even a copy of the room sitting on uh, your girlfriend's like. Uh, uh, like movie collection or whatever they threw that in there i was like yep i oh. noticed that i noticed um you know what that was a total accident oh really really we just needed movies to fill and the room ended up being there and i didn't even realize it was in there until someone pointed it out that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome and there's even a spot where you're sitting on one of those circular staircases <laughs> And I was, and I, and I just thought, is, are these little visual like clues that like, like I even came up with a, 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 um, I came up with an elaborate, 
story that that this these two movies connected to the room and somehow this is how they became best friends they've changed their name after selling all the gold teeth and all that and then <laughs> so so I, I came up with that elaborate thing and i was like no that can't be right damn it so the room is part three yeah room's part three oh well, i mean who yeah, knows it, it, could... That, that, it could totally work that way they have become friends they go to junior college johnny gets a he, he throws away the mortician career becomes a banker it all could work yeah <laughs> no but but none of those references and best friends were intentional they just kind of worked their way in like we were at this location that had a spiral staircase we were like hey there's there's no uh there's no connection we're not trying to do the room and just randomly these things would find their way in and we're like if it's if it's organic enough and it, it doesn't take away with us trying to tell a new story then why not and, I, and i'm glad we did because i think it gives some comfort to fans that have you know coming to see the room for so many years i think it's um i don't think it detracts from it i think it adds some humor no i think it's great there's even a scene where you throw a basketball uh <laughs> you, you're throwing basketball back and forth too so i was like it's like there's a little homage to the football scene i guess <laughs> but uh <laughs> Greg, have you? How did you uh, hear of us? How did you hook up with us? Uh, a friend of mine who works with Fathom Events actually said you guys are great. Oh, and, uh, okay. Well, now we're going to best friends is coming out, and I thought, hey, uh, I'm I'm sure the room uh, blew your mind. I thought it'd be fun to see what you guys thought of. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have a we have a CinemaSins video for the room. Yeah, it might be the dirtiest one we've ever done. It's pretty dirty. <laughs> I think it's dirty. I think I don't think we'd make it the way it's made, uh, the way we made it back then. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 one of our sicker our <laughs> sicker videos. I think, and it has nearly ten million views now. Wow, really? Wow, that's awesome. That's crazy. Well, do you have anything you would like to tell our fans? Uh, where they might be able to find you on social media or uh, anything to keep an eye out over the next year that you're working on that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, we like to give everybody we have on as a guest a chance to pimp the shit <laughs> yeah sure i'm just at greg sestero on on instagram twitter facebook uh you can get best friends volume one and two now on uh blu-ray and uh it's on streaming services like prime and itunes and, and all that worldwide um and just look out for uh the horror film that's the next uh the next installment so awesome. yeah when you and when you check out best friends like you guys obviously are have the right attitude, keep an open mind, and, and try to, uh, you know, try to look past the room and just try to enjoy it for, for what it is. Yeah, fun experience, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah, definitely keep an open mind when you watch it because it's it's got it's another insane story. Yeah. But uh, I would say definitely go watch those two. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Greg. I'm sorry I'm off of uh, camera here, but I'm the disembodied voice. Uh, really appreciate you talking with us. We are big fans of what you're doing, and uh, this was super fun. Yeah, man. I appreciate yeah, you being I, so flexible, too. I know we had to reschedule some things here and there a couple times, and you've just been super awesome about it. So uh, thanks for yeah, coming no on. Worries at all. Yeah, thanks. Thank you guys a lot for having me on. And, of course, uh, all the support you've uh, you've shown these, these films. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, – I continue to give you guys some good entertainment. That'd be great. Looking awesome. forward to the horror movie. You, ever, awesome. you ever get down to Nashville uh, to do? Uh, are you still going to any of these screenings? The the room stuff. I've been doing some best friends live events. Uh, I love the Bell Court. I was there a few years ago. It's awesome. 
Uh, but if I shoot down there, I'll definitely let you guys know. Please That'd do. That'd be great. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Thanks All right. so much. Cool. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Anyway, thanks to Greg Sestero for coming in. That yeah. was that was an awesome that was awesome of him, and uh, I thought that was a good interview. And uh, hope uh, you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, I can't wait to see the other stuff that he does. Uh, so we've got some other stuff that we want to talk about. Do, do, do we want to do some recommends and warns? Yes, I can't wait for these totes amaze balls. There, right. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. I have okay. so many. I have already suggested we do a bonus podcast for Patreon members just of Recca Warns and Recca mm. Recca's and Warns. Recca, Recca, Recca. I got so many. I've been yeah. watching movies, yo. Nice. People say I don't watch movies. I just don't watch many in theaters. I watch movies like crazy. Mm-hmm. I got a big list. I'm what you got? Decided. I don't want to go first. <laughs> I think you should go first. All right. Well, then I got to pull it up. God damn it. <laughs> I was not prepared for this. What do you think I do? Prepare? No. <laughs> 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 very honest of you <laughs> all right i would like to talk first and foremost about a movie called lady macbeth okay ah. Barrett has talked about this movie before this very movie yes is well is this the one with the uh the lady in uh that is has like an arranged marriage to a guy that just like fop fap fops yes to her you talked about this movie on this podcast i have how long ago uh probably six months ago or something like that this is as wreck worn as a movie has ever been for me. I think I agree with you. It's, it stars the gal who's in this Fighting With My Family movie about the wrestler right now. Is that her? Uh, Florence oh. Pugh? Yeah. Yeah, it's yes. Florence Pugh. She is in an arranged marriage. It's called Lady Macbeth. So I'm actually flipping to this thinking it's made in like 2016 uh-huh. or something. Recently. I'm thinking I'm going to see Lady Macbeth. Like a mo- somebody took the character Macbeth's wife mm-hmm. and made a movie out of her. That's I flip here and now we're in like colonial England. Yep. And I'm like, okay, this is not what I expected. But the title should pretty much tell you what to expect. A- at any point in this movie that you think, okay, she's evil, but she's not actually going <laughs> to... She does. Um... <laughs> She's in this arranged marriage. Her, she lives with her father-in-law, who is mean and keeps barking at her to do her wifely duties. Yeah, because her, her guy is like off to fucking he's trade off. agreements or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? and he's, dr- he's a drunk. And when he finally, she does wait up for him. He comes upstairs, says, take off your dress, face the wall. And then he just jerks off. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even want to do it with her. Yeah. Mm. Right. So then they go off to some kind of business thing, mm. some kind of important trade a bi- warehouse business 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 talking so, talking talking yes. they're gone she's alone now with the servants she starts fucking one of them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now this is where the movie got like the very first time they do it there's like a flash of nudity her nudity mm-hmm. but this movie doesn't give a shit about nudity like, we see them having sex several times, but I think that's the only flash of nudity I remember in the whole movie. It's rated R. Oh, but yeah. it's not, the, the, the sex not is There's not, not about nudity. Yes, yes, correct. It's, a, it's about other things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, do we want to avoid spoiling this movie? No, spoil the fuck out of it. She smothers a little kid! Yeah. Like, basically. Among, yeah, among other things. <laughs> like, basically, her, her father-in-law comes home and... He's found out about her affair. She poisons him. Yep. Buries him out. And actually Brutally makes the too. boyfriend poison. It makes the boyfriend bury him out in the woods. Husband comes home. He's heard about the affair. She kills him. She bludgeons him to death. Yep. With the boyfriend. Um, 
<laughs> this woman shows up out of nowhere. This black lady with a little boy that says, well, what you didn't know was that your husband fucked my daughter and had this baby. And he actually did the decent thing and signed a piece of paper that said he would make this child his ward. So your responsibility now. And that lady and the child come to live with her. She smothers the baby. She smothers a little kid. <laughs> Why am I laughing about that? I don't know. It was so... It's very inappropriate. It is, but like... like I have not stopped thinking about this movie, and that's where the Rekka comes in, yeah. is that it, it crept up into my brain, and it has stayed there. Well, that's the point where you're like... Because she even falters right before this. She's like, well, she's have second thoughts, like somebody goes off to a waterfall, I'm like... They're not going to do this. Motherfucker smothers a baby. And then, like, the doctor comes, doesn't buy the story. She's about to get busted. Secret boyfriend lover returns. He feels guilty. He confesses. And she goes, well, I didn't do any of that with him. He did all that. And because she's white and he's black, they believe her. Yep. End. Roll credits. <laughs> Finn. Like the devil's wife. Yeah. Like there are five legit points in this movie where you're like, okay, she's evil, but she's not actually gonna. Yeah, she did. She, she did. fucking she throws that guy under the bus. And that smothering of the child scene takes about 17 minutes. It takes forever because she slowly walks. And his over. legs are like jerking and he's like making grunt noises. Uh, God, this movie stayed with me, but I can't fully recommend you watch it. No. But there's something about it. There's something about it. She is terrific. She's in this. great. She's she is, great. She is gorgeous. She's regal. You can tell that she... I, I say she's regal. She's not playing royalty in the movie. You can tell that she is doesn't want to be composed. She doesn't want to be in this situation, but it's the only you know way out for her family or whatever. Uh, so she conveys a lot of different emotion, and she's magnetic. So I think but that's she's, probably why. But she's cold. Like... Yeah. When she poisons the father-in-law, she and he are eating breakfast, and their servant is sitting there eating with them, and you don't know anything has happened. Dude gets up and goes into the bedroom next door and closes the door, and she stands up, stands up calmly, drags a chair all the way around the table across the kitchen, and props the chair up against the door to keep him from getting out of that room, and then goes back and sits back down and keeps eating her breakfast yeah. while he starts making poison noises. And talking to and the, the servant the is like... Oh, what's just happened here? She's now realizing I just witnessed a murder. Anyway, very compelling stuff. It is. I clearly it stayed in my brain. Yeah, I wanted to talk about it, but weird. I can't. I don't want you hating me if you watch it and you're like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" <laughs> I think that's important that we spoiled the baby thing. I think it really is because it, that's traumatic. It came on. I don't know. It may have came on like a day or so after you talked about it. And so I started watching a little bit, and I was, but it was midway through. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll wait for another time. It's also, not to interrupt, but like, you're telling all like the compelling shit, but there are long stretches in this movie where nothing fucking happens. Yes, there so, are. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't blame you for turning it off. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and watch Interstellar. <laughs> uh, Good call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I most of the movies that I have seen in the past uh, month or so were in preparation for the 2018 uh, thing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so I haven't seen very many just on my own. We've already talked with uh, Greg Sestero about uh, best friends with the the R in parentheses. Um, but uh, uh, and and I and I recommend those in a in 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 exactly the spirit that I say. These aren't movies that are just like gotta go see these right. these are have an open mind watch it and and enjoy it for what they are um 
there is one movie that I've seen though, uh, and I'm trying to fi- I'm trying to think if this is there there I may have to have an ambiva worn now. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, because I see so many movies that are neither recommend nor worn nor in between. Ah, and um. Uh, ambivalent um, that's going on a t-shirt i uh i saw a movie on movie called uncle kent 2 hmm. okay who did this this is now this wasn't joe swanberg but swanberg was part of it right yeah i'm looking at it right now i believe his name is todd rohall yeah who directed it the guy who's in it wrote the script and uh the first uncle there is another uncle kent and joe swanberg did do that movie i haven't seen that one there is an uncle there kent is one? another uncle kent oh, that wow. joe swanberg did and this guy wrote and you don't have to have seen the first uncle <laughs> kent maybe maybe you maybe there's some things about uncle kent too that you you sort of uh there there's maybe stuff for the fans of that first movie uh but uncle kent too is meta because the, the writer is pitching joe swanberg and uncle kent too and saying i really want to do this and um the whole movie goes through like uh it, you don't know how much of this is dream or vision or a lot of that type of stuff's going on he um he goes to san diego comic-con and he runs into like this this one this one woman and like the woman like just unexpectedly like really wants to hang out with him and and like you know hey what are you doing after because she's like signing she's like a famous person signing stuff at a at a in a booth mm-hmm. and and you're like what the how do, how do they know each other again and then like the next thing they're talking and she seems really into him and they have sex and oh. then and it's like and then and then you don't know if that actually happened or not oh. and, and, then, <laughs> and 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 so like the whole thing is him i guess trying to come up with a story for uncle kent too and much like adaptation we've seen you know stuff like that it's it's it, the writer is inserted himself into this you know the script and mm-hmm. everything and so uh a lot of it is very dreamlike and uh there's a point where people start disappearing because of the singularity Ooh. saying that we're all in uh, a simulation and everything it's like well you know uh, it's only a matter of time before we we you know we all create the simulation or whatever and, and, and there, you know whatever that thing i think that elon musk is always talking about mm-hmm. where uh if we can come up with a simulation the idea that we're probably in a simulation becomes that greater yep. much greater and so like there's points where like people start you know go like convulsing video, very digital effect like weird digital effect like convulsing and then disappearing and then he has to figure out what's going on and it's just the the it's one of those movies that you're like yeah there's some amusing things in that interesting and some things that i can't possibly recommend anybody to go watch <laughs> um and i can't warn because it's really just it's not that it's not bad enough to warn. <laughs> um it, it, to some people it might be bad enough to warn but to some people it might be good enough <laughs> to, recommend. to recommend and and for me i'm right down the middle wow that's why i say ambiva warn because i'm just kind of i'm like yeah that that's a movie that exists <laughs> and uh and and that's all i can really say about that along those lines i just read that ryan reynolds is making a movie where he realizes like the inciting incident of the film is going to be him realizing he's an npc character in an open world grand theft auto style game he's a non-playable character and mm-hmm. he basically realizes he's in a simulation hmm. um 
might play with some of those ideas. Yeah. I, yeah, I like that idea. They explored that a little bit in Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, you yeah, know? Yeah, a little bit. And I think that's something that's that's ripe for, you know, exploration, whether it's in science fiction, whether it's in comedy or something like that. Um, yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a there's more parts in there where he's like uh, he's he does actually actually write on some sort of cartoon and so we see clips of the cartoon it's called cat agent <laughs> and it's and and the it's got that very kind of almost it's not dr cat's like animation style but more like dialogue style i would mm. say where there's a lot of um and uh mm, yeah, mm-hmm. you know that type of things that are in it uh so he writes that so there's a point in the comic-con where he runs into like a super fan who's dressed up in this like cat agent outfit <laughs> and then that's another girl he bangs in the movie and you're just like damn dude uh, <laughs> uh and, and and but yeah like like there's a point where she actually goes up to him and says something like i'm a i'm a figment of your imagination or i'm a uh, i don't know some sort of thing of your reality or something like that and he just like oh okay well it's good to see you bro <laughs> you know and like so it's very stream of consciousness that way but uh yeah one of those type of movies don't know what to really it's a movie i I saw yeah i think it's a movie i saw (laughs) i'm gonna recommend the 30th time that i watched the uh wanderlust outtakes of paul russ (laughs) paul rudd talking about his dick yeah (laughs) i'm not going to but that that, i have seen that about 30 times oh yeah i'm gonna get all up in your vag uh no what i want to recommend is a brand new movie i think a couple weeks old on netflix called polar Oh, hmm. have you seen it yet? Well, no, but interestingly, Mads Mikkelsen has been in a movie called Polar and a movie called Arctic in the span of like three weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and right. they're completely different styles of film. Oh, this yeah. is supposed to be like a John Wick, right? This is John Wick if if they pushed it even further. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, this movie is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> it's not it's not a full throated uh, recommend because it, it ain't perfect. But this movie is fucking fun as hell. Okay. Now, okay, I really liked the the first John Wick. I think we all really liked the first John Wick, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like like you with this last movie. I was kind of ambivalent about John Wick too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all love the raid movies and stuff like that. This is all of that combined plus some graphic flourishes. I, I'm I'm going to compare this movie to Suicide Squad for a very brief moment, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to run away. Like all the the things that the the character introductions and stuff like that on Suicide Squad that make it made it look like it was a completely different movie. Yes, some of that is on here, but it's done in a much much better way. Mm. It's about a group of assassins that when you ate when you get to fifty years old, you retire, and you've been it's it's like just a regular job. They've been matching your retirement that you've been putting in, mm-hmm. and at fifty, because you're getting old and slow, they force you to retire, and you get a pension. And if you're really good at what you do, like Mads Mikkelsen's character, who is the Black Kaiser, uh, who he is, and he's uh, turning 50, he gets like $8 million. And they decide they don't want to pay that anymore. So they are taking out all of their older agents. They're dying uh, or they're killing them before they turn 50 so that they don't have to pay that thing out. It's kind of like a realistic base to this story. It's it sounds a uh, loopery. I was gonna say yeah, like a little looper. bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first scene is is shown that this happens to Johnny Knoxville, who is I guess probably approaching fifty. I thought you were gonna say Johnny Knoxville, who I guess is still around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I thought about that too. 
Um, so yeah, he's uh, so the deal is that they want to do this same thing to Mads Mikkelsen's character, and Mads Mikkelsen, much like John Wick, is a badass and he is unkillable and stuff like that. But the way that they go about telling the story of him trying to stay alive, all these assassins are coming after him, is just fucking bonkers. I thought we had seen like the pinnacle of like violentness, acceptable violentness, when like John Wick is shooting people through a dude's skull, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. This movie like takes it up like several notches. Now, I'm not a big fan of gratuitous violence or anything like that, but it works because it's so hyper stylized. Mm-hmm. It works perfectly on Ooh. this. This is a huge recommend. Wow. It's so much fun. Wow. Uh, it is, yeah, it, I would compare it not nearly as good as the raid, it, both of the raids. But I would put it as better than John Wick. Well, I think I'm public on the record as thinking John Wick was great, but not the deity of a movie that society has mm-hmm. made it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to offend some people with that polar over John Wick. Yeah, yeah. But I like it. I like I like your enthusiasm, and that's what sells me. At least when friends recommend or warn a movie, it's the enthusiasm. Yeah, right? this movie goes to places. Both in the by the way, it's got a very good story that has like some narrative twists to it. It's not just a straightforward revenge. Uh, you killed my dog. You you you're castrated, and I'm gonna go after you. That kind of bullshit. It's this actually has like a reason for what he does. Um, he ends up hooking hooking up, not hooking up, uh, but becoming friends with Vanessa Hudgens, who's real homely in this mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. Um, and their relationship is very nice. It has one of the most bonkers sex scenes I've ever seen really? in my entire life. Oh, it's all out there, man. It is all out there. And it's hilarious. It comes out of nowhere. And it, it had me rolling. It this was is on awesome. Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. The, uh, the Mads Mikkelsen film Arctic, by the way, is a survival mm-hmm. drama directed by YouTube's Mystery Guitar Man. Oh, really? Who has turned from YouTube into a, a career making films. I yeah. only know this because he, when Arctic first released, he did an AMA on Reddit, and I saw his username said Mystery Guitar Man, and I was like, the fuck? <laughs> and I started digging deeper, and he makes movies now, and he made the, and it's, got, it's gotten great reviews, too. So um, You haven't seen Arctic I yet? I haven't seen Arctic yet, but I think that had a theatrical release. I don't think that's on a streaming service right now. Joe Penna is the, is <laughs> yeah, the guy's name. name. Yeah. Interesting. Um, mystery guitar man. yeah er, uh, sort of the uh, early days of youtube stardom he was one of the top ones yeah. there for a while yep. he made some great videos yep. too yep he sure did interesting yeah i'm actually gonna check that out too i i, I like mads mickelson he's great. um yeah he's great in casino royale it was funny my wife came in she was like i know that guy from something i'm like well did, we never really watched hannibal i understand he's mm-hmm. really good in that um but he was great in casino royale i don't really remember much of what else he's done, but well, I've seen him in a million. So things. many, yes, yeah, so many things. He was in Doctor Strange. He's one of the main bad. Oh, that, yeah, guys. yeah, Caecilius. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's in a million things. Ever since Casino Royale, you've seen him in. You know, he's probably got a good fifty, sixty credits now. And on uh, Mubi had uh, Valhalla Rising, I yep. think, on it, and I don't know if it's still on there, but I really want to check that movie out too. Oh, uh, he's yeah. in a western with Eva Green, Runaway. Really? Run away hard and fast. Nice. I watched all of it. It was depressing. It's a Casino Royale uh, reunion. I don't mm-hmm. remember what it was called, but it was, it, again, Eva Green, Mads Mickelson in a Western, run away. 
If wow, it, that's that's odd because all of those are like right up your alley, right? You would think. Well, that's why I watched it. <laughs> it's terrible. Are we doing another round? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's we can do, do it, another baby. one. I'm actually going to talk about a movie I've already talked about in the, in the past, but I, I think I gave it short shrift, mm-hmm. and uh, I will continue from this day forward to make fun of its bad title, and that's only the Brave. Uh. Uh, <clears throat> now, before when I brought it up, it was probably six months ago, maybe. Maybe four. I don't know. I I was probably a little buzzed on wine when I watched it. I certainly wasn't paying full attention. And I think I probably ended up saying something like, it was okay. It's pretty good. Shitty title. Yeah. (laughs) The title's throwing me. What is this about? This is about uh, firefighters. Actually, um, hot shots where they basically contain forest fires by doing pre-burns. Oh, yeah. yeah. um, And so you've got Josh Brolin, um, who's just great in everything these Mm -hmm. days. Um, and you have Jeff, uh, Bridges and you have Miles Teller and Taylor Kish and Jennifer Connelly. Wow. Those are the names that you'll recognize the most. Uh, but basically Miles Teller is the new guy who's just joined this group of firefighters that aren't, that don't have certification, but are training and trying to get certification. Brolin is their leader. He took this kid, Miles Teller under his wing because Miles Teller had a drug problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and is just getting out of jail. And uh, it's basically <clears throat> a series of fires. I actually thought for a second um, that uh, Mark Wahlberg's best friend directed this. Peter Berg. Oh, Peter Berg, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it, it feels like a Peter Berg movie in a lot of this. Because th- this is based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And this outfit gets certified early on. And then they fight a handful of real fires that are historical. Um, and they save the town. There's a fire right near their town. Um and their town is right next to something called Granite Mountain. They call themselves the Granite Mountain Hotshots. Hmm. And you can take only the Brave as a title and throw it out the window and just call it the Granite Mountain Hotshots. Where is this Granite like? Uh, it's like in Arizona. Arizona. Um, and so, <clears throat> and then they go out for one last firefighting thing that is no big deal. And two or three things go wrong. And it's a super tragic ending. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so be, be forewarned going in. But I really liked it this time around i i watched it during the afternoon there was no one involved and i i didn't i wasn't doing work while i was watching it it kind of had my full attention i was most struck by how much i like brolin because he's really dialed it back like really dialed it back um guy's just fucking good he man. is he really is and i really thought miles teller was good in this jennifer Connolly stole it from me because mm. she's this angry wife who wants to have a baby and uh, he just he's always off fighting fires, maybe dying and leaving her alone. And she says something like, you give me 10 percent and you give fire 90 percent. Um, great fights between them. Anyway, I enjoyed it enough that I went, I'm going to look up the director. And I think it's time we start putting this guy in the discussion because it's Joseph Kaczynski. Kaczynski, who made Tron Legacy, Oblivion. Ooh. And Ooh. only the brave. Ooh, I like all. Uh, well, I like those first two. And his next one. I don't remember. It's next one is some kind of. Bigger budgety might even be like a comic book thing. Mm. I'm not sure. I looked up, I looked up his IMDb, but I was like, oh, I love Tron Legacy. I love Oblivion, and now I like this movie better. He's uh, doing uh, the new Top Gun movie. Oh, that's right. That's right. Interesting. And he's doing something called Spider Head, which I do not think has anything to do with Spider Man. <laughs> Spider Heed. It's probably not. Anyway, Look so that voice, Heed. I ended up feeling like even if last time I just kind of called it good mm-hmm. shitty title, that that was maybe not giving it its due. It was much better the second time around. It looks phenomenal um, like it's shot very well anyway there you go um a uh, recommend will be uh class it's a classic movie uh the umbrellas of cherbourg 
Uh, Jacques Demy uh, directed this. Um, I believe, though, uh, an episode of Mad Men even has this in the background oh, at awesome. one point. Um, it is uh, an extremely colorful musical, like solid colors all the way throughout. You know, it, it definitely feels like La La Land took hmm. some notes. Um, and it's a very basic story, but uh, this is a musical where nobody ever has straight dialogue everybody's singing all the time hmm. um and uh it's a simple story i mean uh a woman catherine deneuve who's one of the most beautiful women of all time mm -hmm. uh catherine deneuve is uh dating this guy they're very young uh i guess there's a there's a thing in france where you have to uh you have to have military service for a couple of years yeah or something. i think so uh, uh, so, so they're dating and they want to get married, but he has to do his military service first. Uh, so he goes off, uh, to war and I think they're actually fighting like Algeria or something at this point in the fifties. And, um, and, uh, while, while he's overseas, uh, she doesn't seem to be getting many letters from him or anything like that. Um, and, uh, and she starts to sort of like fall out of love with him meanwhile there's this dude who's who's come into the picture that she and her mom run this umbrella shop i don't know what the mm. it, I, I get maybe back in the 50s you could run a whole shop based on umbrellas <laughs> it's the i don't umbrella know academy <laughs> yeah exactly uh they're not doing well financially of course <laughs> shocker <laughs> yeah there's even a scene there where, like at the beginning where the mom's like uh show this man the umbrella or whatever and you're like sitting there going does he really need to like go through this like it's a vcr or something the um uh but uh they're having trouble but there's this one guy who comes in who says that uh, he can help them out and everything meanwhile he falls in love with her because everybody i mean if you're in within five ten feet of Catherine Deneuve, you're going to end up falling in love with her that's just the way it goes uh it's a law um and uh and so like she ends up just you know sort of almost sort of just giving up on the dude who's gone to war because he hasn't she hadn't heard from him for, an, for a long time so ends up marrying the other dude dude comes back finds out that she was i mean this wasn't a big reveal but i'm making it sound like one she's pregnant while he while he's off so they had one they had like a one night before he left that one night turned into a baby one night in paris yeah mm -hmm. exactly that's right one night in paris that's, that, right. that, that's uh, the name of paris hilton's sex yeah it's, it's got very odd <laughs> green, making. very odd green cinematography in that movie um so yeah she marries this dude and he's like you know this kid was going to be our kid and you know all that and then he ends up falling in love with a woman who was taking care of her aunt, I think, or whatever, his aunt. You, you sit there like this is a movie that if it were made, remade today, it would definitely go a direction that you're expecting. Mm. Like you're expecting, OK, well, something's going to happen to both of them where they get back together and all that. And I'm spoiling it. But, you know, it's it's one of those things you're expecting them to get back together the whole time. And that's not the point of that movie. Mm. Um, it's like broadcast news yeah 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 and the broadcast news is always hard for me to accept even though it's not my art to yeah, <laughs> dictate well and and yeah the yeah i know it's uh yeah i mean she i think i don't think she ends up with either of those dudes she doesn't they all yeah. end up and, on their own or with somebody else yeah uh it it is funny though the the uh the the plot of this was familiar enough to me that I turned to the guy. We, we have this sort of movie club thing every month with some, uh, some other friends of mine. 
and uh he's a very like big time classic movie guy and everything and he's like i and i turned to him and i said i really like that i like that almost as much as the notebook <laughs> just, just to poke the bear <laughs> and because uh, it has that exact sa- the notebook has that exact same story it's not the it's not the musical yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh but you know the whole thing we're in the rain where he's like i wrote for you to, to, for five years i wrote every day for five years oh my god uh so anyway highly recommend the umbrellas of Cherbourg. it's a really good movie all right can we catch up with just like a couple of movies that we gave short shrift to in 2018 that i wanted to talk about sure just just briefly first one is crazy rich asians mm, which is okay. hard to say without calling it crazians oh yeah yeah or yeah. <laughs> which are delicious on salad or or crazy stupid asians is what i was thinking when i was watching it because you know, there's crazy stupid love <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i think we had very differing opinions on this because i really really like this movie okay and chris you don't feel the same way correct? no i like it i just feel like uh i feel like this is gonna sound absolutely ridiculous point blank ridiculous Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like the uh it doesn't feel like a different culture that i'm watching when i'm watching this movie because uh it it's got all the same romantic comedy cliches i've seen in every movie uh before this there are a couple of moments where i think i am being transported into a different world there's the wedding scene Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah that's a great it's a great scene yeah uh and there's the mahjong scene Mm -hmm. yeah i i i like this movie Mm -hmm. uh i just think it's it's too much like every other movie i've ever seen it well it's derivative yeah i mean it is it's derivative of 50 shades of gray it's derivative of romantic comedies where mom and girl don't get along and all that stuff monster in law shit like that right shades of gray how crazy are these rich asians (laughs) (laughs) i haven't seen this movie a lot of sex do they no i mean it's the crazy rich part where like the guy is they're able to do anything correct and it's almost like if you were to show me a asian version of a rom-com or something like that it's almost like they had to set it in this super ultra rich society for us to relate to Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and it is fun to look at it is really really you know relatable because a lot of the the characters like ken jong and aquafina and uh even the uh the guy is on superstore that i always forget his name oh yeah they're all speaking with american dialects Mm. So there is a lot, in, and so is Constance Wu. So there, there's a lot to relate to as an American. And, of course, the main guy, Nick, is like Chinese-British. And he is he's good looking. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. He's in A Simple Favor. That is him. Yeah. Mm. Oh, he's also very good in that. Mm. I like that guy. Um, yeah. So I think this is a recommend. I, I understand exactly what Chris is saying. We send this as of today. Uh, it came out. And... I agree with all the sins that were in there. Um, I think it may have even suggested one in there, but like, I st- still had a, a, a really good time. The other one that I think I have a very different opinion of from Jeremy is I finally did see Tully. You loved it. I fucking loved it. Everybody loves Tully but me. I agree, again, with what you're saying, though. Spot the twist a mile away and that it was marketed 
to say, oh, there's a twist coming. Yeah, I haven't seen that. You haven't seen it? No. If you had so marketed, I'll leave out the twist. If you had marketed this as a, a world-weary pregnancy mom drama. Mom-dra. mom <laughs> 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 yeah you really can't uh, that's about the, the best way you can combine those words right mama and drama combined mom drama baby mama drama mom drama baby mama drama too much for me to want to stay in one spot uh yes i agree i agree I, w- I wish they had done that because there's a lot okay so first of all what grabbed me about this was a how realistic it gets parenting in the beginning all the way through, yeah. all the way through, and and not just the moment where like you know she gets super frustrated and all that stuff, and things are just building up and building up. It's the little things like kicking the back of the seat constantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, their son has what I think is something like sensory processing disorder, where they have to brush him down every day mm-hmm. uh, on the autism spectrum, basically. But nobody wants to say that in this movie. Mm. Um, she's just had a new baby. Her uh, daughter is going through like early tween pre-adolescence that kind of thing and all that shit because i've been through my kid is now 11 so i've been up to that span of of ages that they're dealing with Mm -hmm. and it gets it so right and the other thing that really got me was diablo cody man because she wrote this screenplay and it's got a lot of like a grown-up version of juno Mm -hmm. and You'd think it's weird hearing something that Ellen Page would say, what, 10 years ago, whatever that was, uh, in Charlize Theron's mouth, Theron mm-hmm. or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, in her mouth now. And it's, I think it's perfect. I think she delivers it perfectly. I think it's whip smart. Mackenzie Davis is also really whip smart. She's a manic pixie midwife, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she is the definition of manic pixie <laughs> midwife. She's great. She She's is. the best thing about them. That her and Ron Livingston stood out to me. I thought Charlie's was great. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but yeah, it's just it's just hard for me when I see something coming that far away to let myself get immersed. Yeah, um, and I think that's I'll go back to it at some point and probably like it more. And mm. I don't, I didn't hate it, but even the even the, the podcast where I talked about it, the, all, most of the commenters who brought it up were disagreeing with me. They were like, "Oh, I loved it. Oh, I, really? I saw the twist coming and I loved it. I, I think I am really in like." The outlier on this movie for some reason. I think between the dialogue, the direction, the family dynamics, um, uh, your boy uh, uh, Duplass, Mark mm-hmm. Duplass is in this, and uh, he's super successful, super rich, and and he's introduced as being this out of touch asshole, right? Mm-hmm. And but once you see it from his perspective, it, it's like Ron Livingston says, you know, your brother hates me. And she's like, well, he doesn't hate. Yeah, I guess he kind of hates you. And then they they show them at dinner and all that stuff. But he's like being he's reaching out. He's being kind. And later on in the movie, there's a scene where it's him and his wife. And he's like, man, her husband hates me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a, such a realistic depiction of like these these family dynamics. I love that. I couldn't recommend it more, but I totally understand. What you're there's doing. this. Oh, where is it? There's a waitress at 
one of the places my wife and I go a lot. And whenever we get her, I swear to God, she doesn't like me. I don't have any reason to think that. But I've, I like the idea of after we leave, she's always going to a coworker going, man, that guy hates me. <laughs> <laughs> There's also this this couple is so super rich and everything that they, they get their kids into all the best schools. And uh, she's she's telling Charlize there and she's saying, you know, uh, my my kid is in a, a talent show. We've got to go. And she's like, oh, what is her talent? And she's like, Pilates. <laughs> and there's this beat where like hey, what are you gonna say it's very good there's there's some very funny shit in there do you want to do some creation let's do q2 question question i got something to say I'm listening. One of my favorite moments in the entire history of the podcast was when Barrett was reflecting on Sharon Stone's description of what a psychologist is in Basic Instinct. This is where I have a degree in psychology. It comes with the territory for fucking people. Fuck yeah. that. Yeah. And I said, fuck you, and he fell out laughing. That's nice. What movies come to mind that give truly terrible representations of professions you are familiar with, with which you're familiar? Mm. Nice. You saved yeah. Okay, so... Uh, my my only main job before this was working projection, working in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. I worked one other job than that, and maybe okay, maybe one other job other than that. But like <laughs> those those two jobs, like you know, there's nothing about. I delivered newspapers at one point. There's no movies about that. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Better Off Dead. Oh yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't throwing it out of my car or anything like that. I was just going to racks and putting my, putting papers in. And I've never once been like, oh, that's just the stupidest way to put papers in. Um, and um, so there's not very many movies about movie theater life either. The most famous one is probably Cinema Paradiso. Uh, I don't. I think they get the projection pretty much right in that. Although mm. the, also those that those projectors are from way before my time. Right. Mm. So some of the stuff in there, like he can, they, there's a point where the main guy can tell that the movie's out of out of focus by just by hearing the projector. Wow. And uh, and I'm like, I guess you could, I guess you could know that, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I don't. <laughs> I've ne- I never had that experience. <laughs> Uh, the only thing that I, th- I I think is total bullshit is there's a scene in Cinema Paradiso where he gets a little mirror and he's able to project. There's a there's a scene where a uh, movie sold out and there's a ton of people outside who still want to see the movie and uh, and uh, they've been they've been shut out of it and everything. I think there's a, almost a riot about to go on. So he takes this little mirror and reflects the image out onto a building outside. Now I think the reflection part you could probably do that, but not in the way that they should. This is just more movie magic type yeah, type yeah. of thing that's just fun. Mm. Uh, so so there's nothing about the way that he runs projectors that I'm like you know whatever. So I'm not. I I have to basically go down to something that I'm not familiar with, but I hate in movies. Mm-hmm. Cops who go into apartments and they just always seem to be not paying attention they're like always pointing in one direction yeah yeah and they're just like looking in a, in one direction the whole time <laughs> yeah and there's of course the bad guy is right there <laughs> like how many times does this happen to cops that they go into an apartment building and they just get completely blindsided by some asshole no so, i agree it, it, the craziest thing was 
I think it was True Detective, the final episode of, mm-hmm. of season one. Mm-hmm. He clears the room and it's a tracking shot and all that stuff. There's two of them, actually. There's one where he's getting the guy out of the projects, that wonderful tracking shot, mm-hmm. where he clears every room, like left, right, up, down, like everywhere, under beds and shit like that. And he does it again in that. And it stood out to me because of what you're saying mm. because it never happens there's always a fucking guy right over there yeah. in the fugitive i got your man i got your man yeah yeah I, I and i just feel like while yes i'm sure that there are some inexperienced cops that run into an apartment <laughs> and they've forgotten all of their training i'm sure that happens but like some i see it with like 25 year vets on the force <laughs> people who are about to retire go in looking in one direction yep. the whole time and they may look in other directions too but like i'm sitting there going that is not how anybody looks in like i would be more aware going into my own house knowing there's nobody <laughs> in there than they are when they're going in there knowing somebody's yep. in it um so i that's something that's always bugged me it's not a thing i'm familiar with though it could happen all the time for all i know i don't know man i've I've noticed that too that bugs me too mm-hmm. yeah yeah i get bugged there are three things i'm going to talk about i'm just going to hog the next several minutes do it uh i can tell when a movie that has a main character that is a preacher or a preacher's kid consulted somebody who was a preacher or a preacher's kid and when they didn't every single time i can tell Really? When Hollywood wants to pretend they know what a preacher's family is like or what church is like when they have never set foot in one, I can always tell. It's very mm. funny to me. Now, that, that's o- probably only because I have churched as much as anyone has ever churched <laughs> in the first half of my life. Uh, the other one I thought of and I emailed you guys was piano playing. I can always spot the fakes. And that's why Ryan Gosling was so awesome in La La Land is that he really learned how to play that piece. That How is- much? Isn't there, there's some where he's not, right? The, the piece he plays in the restaurant that she first hears that gets him fired. Uh-huh. He learned how to play that. He knew all of that. That's all him? Yes. Holy shit. That's my understanding I knew to that the point he where Damien Chazelle was blown away. Wow. Um, and usually you get, usually you get the Bill Murray and Groundhog Day where we just shoot you from the other side of the piano and we don't have to see what your hands are doing. The funniest ones are when they try yeah. and fake it. But nobody actually knows how to play, so they try and get a hand shot in there, and they're never fucking playing the right notes. They're always like three octaves away from the notes that are being played at the moment. And the other one I wanted to talk about is Golf Swing, because a lot of movies will cast handsome actor A, who doesn't know shit about golf, and he's hilarious in the golf scene. When he tries to like the entourage always did this, too, because yeah. mm-hmm. those guys were always swinging golf clubs. And in real life, none of those fuckers had ever swung a golf <laughs> yeah. club. Uh, but my favorite is sideways because that's realistic. Yes. Because the way those two guys swing is exactly like a hacking duffer who's played before but yep. sucks would swing a golf club. Yep. Anyway, there's my answer. But you you bring up something that I just realized. I can always tell uh, baseball swings that shouldn't. Yes. Should not produce home runs. <laughs> like every time or even contact yeah <laughs> Short like, ass i think i think wesley snipes he's been in major league and the fan uh-huh. and i don't think he, either time he swung the bat in a way that makes any sense major league kind of because he's kind of a slap hitter and yeah, he, yeah. he can occasionally hit a home run but they tell him don't ever do that again <laughs> um but uh but in i think it's in the fan for sure where you're just like are this guy supposed to be a superstar really <laughs> um i think even in a movie that i i love the natural i mean redford has a pretty good swing in that but some of the ones that they show 
the one there's the one scene that's all in one it's it's a slow motion shot of him hitting one home run yeah but it's uh the broadcaster is talking about you know you can hear the the first one he hit the second one he hit the third one he hit and this one is the fourth one that's big slow motion shot and the one that he hits on that 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 shot that's a pop-up yeah yeah <laughs> but they make they they you know they see the catcher and he rises up and like all that redford's looking out in the distance and i'm like yeah that ball is like above your head the second baseman catches that trick yeah you know who's got a good uh golf swing and i love this scene total has to be service to bill murray himself is that scene in lost in translation oh Oh, yeah because it's a long take he gets right up on it yeah puts the ball down takes the three wood out takes a step back looks over it's this beautiful shot of mount fuji yeah. in the background and he gets up to the ball a couple of waggles and has this wonderfully languid shot because you know he plays in in real life right he does and goes right down the middle same ball flight that the three yeah. would have and he just puts his the only thing is he doesn't have any bat, like other clubs with him he's just rambling around with the three wood but it's a beautiful shot it is well and you just watch kevin costner and don johnson swing in tin cup mm-hmm. at back to back and you'll see what i'm talking about because yeah. costner plays golf all the time and it shows and don johnson learned how to swing a golf club for this movie <laughs> uh all right so so automotive stuff i was a mechanic for off and on at my grandfather's shop since i was like six like six to 20 or something like that and I I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> My first uh, solo gig, I had to replace some spark plugs and uh, had a comeback. The guy brought it back in like two hours. Nice. <laughs> nice. So I had to redo it. It was a good life lesson. Yeah, I learned how to do like a tune-up and uh, plug gapping and stuff like that. But I wasn't very good at it. I could never do like the high-level stuff or anything like that. But I could get you going. Like we broke down in Alabama on a, a trip recently, and I was able to get us in enough shape to get to the mechanics. Um, but I also had some tools uh, available at my disposal. What I hate in movies is when you get these motherfuckers that get in there and, like, with their bare hands, <laughs> twist a couple of fucking oh, things. Oh, yeah. And try it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This happened most recently. I was watching 8 Mile, and motherfucker, so Mackay Pfeiffer pulls up to, to his house and everything, and... Eminem, who is a or B Rabbit, who is a factory worker, somehow knows how because He's he a lives in metal Detroit. stamper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he gets in there. They're talking about the rap battles. And, you gotta come and we're, we're gonna make it and all that stuff. He's in there like his car won't run. But he's twisting shit around there with his bare fucking hands. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, he does the, the try it now. And Mackay Flapper, he pulled it, turns over, doesn't catch. He's like, oh. And then he does something else. He's like, give it some gas. He gives it some gas, and it starts up. And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, fuck you. Yeah. I love that scene, though. Live at home in the trailer. <laughs> 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 it's, and that's also where Michael Shannon comes out, and he's like, you got a cigarette? Michael <laughs> <laughs> Shannon almost steals that movie. Oh, and Kevin Kai Fiverr's like, what the fuck's wrong with him? He's like, hey, he's not right there. Yeah, he had like a car accident or something? <laughs> yeah, something so, yeah. like that. Uh, do we want to do one more? Oh. Do sure. One more? Yeah, let's do one more. Uh, this is from a guy uh, that's living in Italy right now, and very, very cool. I'm glad to, to see our net mm-hmm. being cast, our seed being spread. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Doesn't he say something in the question about seeds? <laughs> I think he does. I think he. I think it's in direct reference to spreading our seed, right? What? What? The point of this message is that he was watching First Man, 
and it reminded me him of a like a certain subcategory of space movies that do it very realistically mm-hmm. things like apollo 13 hidden figures um things like that first man um which i think is a very cool thing so the question is uh, and he puts it kind of maybe italian wise uh the question is what are your favorite movies about a certain argument mine was space in a realistic way what i think he's meaning is that something that is is very specifically uh presented in in the movie itself okay well then i don't know if that's what my answer that i came up with it just felt like after a while that this felt like a um what what kind of movie do you like what kind of subgenre do you like is what almost what it sounds like um uh but um he he takes a really good one that's probably my favorite stuff going on right now our our directors and writers who come out and say we want to do something that's real with the science and everything but i found that i really like horror comedies a Mm, lot yeah I, i i like them even when they're horrible like they're not very good at all like i'll watch anything but uh, you know, we had the modern horrors guy come in, guys come in and and uh, uh, talk about Deathgasm. Love that I, movie. Uh, uh, you know that movie is great. Uh, uh, Dave made a maze is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is really fun. I saw. Um, uh, I didn't realize this movie existed um, until it was, just came on cable the other day. It's called Student Bodies, and it came out in 1981. Yeah. Uh, it is a parody of horror movies up to that point, which, you know, at this point, you've got Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. And you've got, uh, you've got a, a probably a host of other, like, you know, stuff that we would see in the 80s later on. But um, but it's, it's very airplane-y type of uh comedy and i thought i had known about all of these movies. yeah i i did not realize that they had they had made one of these this movie's awful but i <laughs> sat there with just like just kind of just like i really kind of just dig what this movie's about and uh and it's 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 stupid but like there's a point where like someone forgets to lock a door and then this big arrow comes up on the screen and blinks and says, bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just this, it's this, uh, I think it's this killer that's going around, uh, like killing all these like uh, girls from the school or whatever. And they have to, you know, whoever the main person is has to figure out who it is. But it's, you know, it's, it's that kind of silliness all the way through. Mm-hmm the the killings are silly all the stuff is silly so i ended up you know I, I'm, I haven't seen the whole thing but just parts of it i was like i may have to watch this yeah. Sometime. so yeah i find myself uh being drawn to these horror comedies i like that mm-hmm. evil dead yeah, yeah evil dead yeah. yeah you think oh i was thinking more about like uh investigative journalism movies yeah <sighs> yeah those are good um because it seems to be a a genre that's coming back with mm-hmm. Spotlight and The Post, and Zodiac is another excellent. Um, oh, yeah. Um, of course, you go back to All the President's Men, mm-hmm. got season five of The Wire. I'm a sucker for realistic investigative journalism. All of the movies and the TV show I just mentioned show how long form that shit is, yeah. right? Like, I think it's very easy for us to sit back and read an expose about the Catholic Church and the sex scandal and maybe not even look at the names of the people who wrote it. Mm-hmm. But those people probably spent 
a year or more on that story. That that Brian Singer story that Esquire wouldn't publish, that the Atlantic ended up publishing, mm-hmm. that was a year plus in the making of in- investigating. That's how the spotlight spotlight would be my favorite, by the way, of all of these. I love that movie. Um, <clears throat> Zodiac would be my favorite of all those movies, pure movie wise. But that's only because the investigative journalism is just part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in in Spotlight, these people are on this story for so long, and this one specific crew of the Boston Globe, that's their deal. Mm-hmm. They work on stories that are so big and important, they work on them for 10 months, yeah. a year and a half. They just date. And I love that scene when Mark Ruffalo just explodes when Michael Keaton says, it's not time, I'm not. we're not ready to do it yet, because he's... He's been living with this. Yeah. He's been steeped in this, and he just lets it all out. He's like, they were little kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I can't stop watching Spotlight. I've probably seen it a dozen times in the last two or three months, ever since it started showing up on Cinemax or Showtime. Oh, really? Yeah, um, I'm going to have to go down that. that everyone's so too. good in mm-hmm. it. And it's that guy from The Wire who directed it, Tom Hopper. Yeah, Tom, McCarthy? Tom, Tom McCarthy. Yeah, Tom yeah, McCarthy. Yeah. Uh, and he clearly understands journalism. And how it works, but he doesn't. The camera never gets in the way in Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels almost, almost documentary like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be my favorite of all the investigative journalism movies. Oh, Spotlight, that's good, good stuff. It's hard to watch. Imagine the stuff that we're going to see come out about the Mueller stuff. You know, yeah, uh, like the background, because you know how much work has gone into this. Mm-hmm. How many, and who knows when we're going to get the report? You yeah. know, it may be tomorrow. It may be six months. We're going to get some, we're going to get some excellent movies. I have a feeling. Yeah. Well, which I wish they wish they didn't have to exist, but well, hopefully it has a happy ending. Yeah. Well, I just hope they're a wait. satisfying ending. All the president's men has a satisfying. Yeah. Ending. All the pre- spotlight has a satisfying. Yes. Ending. Thing about two, the, all the president's men, they did that movie like right after it happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, cause the book had been written obviously. So they had the source material, but good God to think of w- what they pulled off in just two years after it had happened. Well, mm-hmm. and we forget, I saw a picture the other day posted on Twitter of Woodward and Bernstein watching Nixon's resignation speech. And the, the caption that came on, along with the tweet was basically like like Nixon and his administration had just trashed them for mm-hmm. months and months. Very similar to kind of what you're seeing a little bit of today in terms of like calling their investigation a, a you know, a hit job. Mm-hmm. And, and they just had to deal with all of that and keep their head down. And you just you got to respect people that can put in that effort, man, because yep. I'm much I'm much too short term a reward needer to, to be an investigative journalist i mean i need something most back, people are like soon yeah anyway um spotlight nice nice so it's a weird thing I, I read this question after i had watched polar and i was thinking about movies i gravitate to movies that what i say declare themselves very early what they're going to be this movie polar is very much like that mm-hmm. by by the way that they introduce their characters with the graphical flourishes, with uh, you know, uh, you know, a few different things, but the you know the color palette and stuff like that, and it was consistent all the way through, as opposed to something like Suicide Squad that tries to declare something and it's a completely different movie afterwards. Also thought about La La Land being this way, um, where it comes out and it's the the opening musical on the the highway. You know, this is not set in reality, but it kind of is. Yeah. You know, another day of sun. It's a, a realistic based musical, and that's what that, what gets me hard. Like <laughs> that's what, what like uh, 
Baird, is my, ma- Baird is making a fist with his arm rigid. Uh, but, you know, so, something like Mean Girls like dis- declares itself very mm-hmm. early what it's going to be subversive and, and comedic and stuff like that. It's not going to be your, your typical thing. Mm-hmm. And I am on board with that, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't mind you doing something completely different like La La Land, like Polar, like, you know, Mean Girls. Uh, but be consistent. Follow up on that because you've got my attention. You know, let's let's make this work. And uh, it's it's not very many movies that do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my. That's Can my I pick. give a shout out before we wrap it up? Mm-hmm. Our buddies, Modern Horrors, are trying to make a movie. Aha! Uh-huh. They have a seed and spark page. Uh, the movie's going to be called God Country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to raise a very reasonable sum of money. Um, and I don't even really like horror, much less like the really hard, hard stuff. But mm-hmm. these guys do, mm-hmm. and their enthusiasm for it is fucking contagious and i want to see them get to make this movie and i want to see this movie it's going to be violent and gory (laughs) and touch on some questionable topics these guys are insane but i've already donated and i would like to you know rally some cinema sins fans out there to come and donate as well uh they're going to shoot this thing locally here around in nashville i've already Mm -hmm. asked if i can come on set and they said yes oh cool um i actually i asked for like a speaking role i wasn't shy Mm. um but uh anyway check it out if you like horror if you like indie horror if you have enjoyed modern horror's appearance on our podcast this is a chance to support them Every few dollars helps, mm. um, and uh, they got about a month left on their uh, on their campaign. And I just wanted to shout that out to our pod friends. Trying, Good looking out. Trying to find a uh, link to this. Um, the best way I would know to, to tell you to get there is go to Modern Horror's Twitter page, and they probably have a recent or sticky tweet that has a link to it. Um, but that's how I always find it. I just googled uh, Modern Horror Seed and Spark. Uh, they're fifteen percent to their goal, um, and you can go donate right there. It says you make a pledge. Uh, that's how. I and they have some it. cool rewards too. Like yeah. um, if you donate at a certain level, they're going to give away. Let's just say this movie apparently has razor blade Bibles, uh, and they're going to give away some of those yeah. to people who donated a certain <laughs> level. I don't know. I I grew up a preacher's kid. I never saw a razor blade Bible. Kind of scares me to yeah. even think about it. Uh, but I know what they spent on the teaser video that's on that campaign page, mm-hmm. and they can stretch a dollar, kids. And it's so they're going to cool. take this money and do something really, really unique, and I can't wait. Good job. Uh, yes. Um, that you said 15%, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 15% uh, to their goal. And yeah, I'm uh, planning on uh, on uh, donating that too as, as well. But uh, God Country. God Country. Mm-hmm. Unit are- Core god country yeah <laughs> yes code um oh god the tier names are hilarious they by are the way. they are <laughs> blasphemer let me just read these real quick non-believer is the first one apostate 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 uh heretic is the next one fifty dollars gets you blasphemer level <laughs> seventy dollars is infidel one hundred dollars is idolatrous that's funny uh two hundred dollars is godless uh, $500 is recreant. <laughs> oh, and then $1,000 is associate producer. 5000 is producer. 10000 is executive producer. Executive producer is yes. right there for the taking. Yes. Yep. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, keep going to uh, Syncast presented by CinemaSense on Facebook and uh, give yourself some comments. Give me some comments. That's Not right, yourself. Baby. Give me some comments. <laughs> and I'll give yourself some comments back. <laughs> Uh, uh, go to, uh, CinemaSins Twitter, go to, uh, Reddit, go to, uh, pay, uh, we've got a Patreon. We've also got a Discord. 
a little a few people were disappointed we weren't on discord on the night of the oscars i would have been but my phone was like down to nothing and oh, yeah. i was, didn't have any chance to charge it uh so i i felt bad about that but um anyway we're i i'm i'm hanging around on discord uh answer some questions here and there uh but uh yeah tell us what you thought about this very episode uh but uh that'll do it for this one i uh, would like to thank greg greg sestero again yeah. yeah um but uh i'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasends.com caught shoplifting the game and then marge takes him right back there for a picture and oh yeah she finds out he's a shoplifter and that's a great little episode is that is that is the game uh bone something bone storm bone storm (laughs) yeah he gets at millhouse's storm hey how come you aren't playing bone storm anymore Ah, it got boring i'm really into this cup and ball now (laughs) 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 i am barrett the guy who's who's been conversing with you um, and I'm about to turn you around to my much better looking colleagues, yeah. Chris Atkinson <laughs> and Jeremy Scott, the creators of YouTube. So I'm going to have you on a, a little bit of an angle. We are the creators of YouTube. Creators the creators of YouTube. Of YouTube. That's what I said. That. <laughs> there is a funny moment in the disaster artist where Dave Franco is on the couch with Allison Bree and they're watching Gilmore girls and she's like, <laughs> She's like, uh, you're so much better looking than that guy on that show or whatever. You can do that. You oh, know? yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. What would have been better, Gilmore Girls or The Rope? <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough it, one. It is a tough one. I mean, yeah. You, you, I well, mean, you're probably... You got you to think like 50 years from now. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Still- I don't know. I don't. There's not very many dudes off that show who you could just name right off the bat. Mm, just Milo Ventimiglia. Supernatural kids on there too. Oh yeah, the, was it Johnny Gadecki or well, not? Pa- not Johnny Gadecki, pa- but he's got a name like that. <laughs> Johnny Gadecki. <laughs> it's uh, Padlecki. Padlecki. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So the pre-order package is going to be the comic book, and then there's art from they're adding sketches inside the book that Uh are like of some of the scenes and they'll get like digital copies of that art and then hold on they're they're adding art from the comic book into the book book no what we decided was that you know how some books will have illustrations here and Mm -hmm. there so we've got four of those in each book and they're storyboard style black and white sketches did jeremy do them no because he was too busy ah um the gal that did the covers did them. Callie? Yeah, she's great. She's awesome. I follow her on Twitter now. She's got, I think she may just be early in her career because yeah. her art is so good. It feels like she said mine was the first book cover she'd ever designed. Yeah, that's insane. It is insane. She did strings too, right? Yeah, she did both of yeah. them. She's going to do all of them. Like, I don't, I don't think Green Book should win Best Picture ever, mm-hmm. but the, I, I liked the movie. So I'm in this weird position because people who are back, uh, the backlash against that movie is all the, well, a bunch of white people made it and, mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, Peter Farrelly showed his dick to people, and uh, they, you know, the the they didn't get the family right. And if you like it, you're hereby endorsing all you that are, stuff. Right? You are suddenly, uh, and and people were coming up with stuff like uh, they were they were making uh, they were doing the I guess the backwards compliments that you would always hear uh, white people say about black people, like you know, Green Book is so articulate. Uh, green book is you know all these different my things. favorite one i saw said some of green book's best friends are black movies. yeah yeah it's all that too <laughs> and uh and so so now that that's become part of the narrative now i'm like sitting there going i don't know if i can even say i like this movie anymore yeah you're kind of in a awkward position yeah like i've I seen really... people eloquently say yes i liked it i think even like the maltons and I think even Aaron said he enjoyed it, well, but he had the same caveats as you did. Somebody on uh, Facebook said, "I don't, I don't think the movie is necessarily about uh, uh, winning over racism. It's, it's more about you, people are never who you think they are when you first meet them. Mm. So, yeah, take the racism part out of their friendship, then that's what that movie is about. Mm -hmm. But." Um, I do honestly, God, the biggest problem I have with it is the Peter Farrelly dick showing thing. I yep. actually was rabbit holing on that last night just to make sure i didn't have my facts wrong rabbit holing sounds dirty <laughs> he literally said in the interview he's done it 500 times or more what is he doing he's taking his dick out and he's just well and he for comedic effect yes well he tries to defend himself it's not like i just take out my dick and say <laughs> look at my dick but then he goes on to describe what he does i emailed it to myself in case we got into this because it's literally that's literally what he does because glenn close was definitely winning yeah yeah, she yeah. was definitely winning, and and uh, when they said Olivia Coleman, and like she can't like all that emotion and everything, yeah. Emma Stone and everybody like gathered around her, and she got up there and just her saying, you know, it's like uh, this is hilarious. I've won an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just I really really enjoyed that. So no, I didn't like the telecast in general though. Yeah. I mean, there's some moments in there, like the opening Maya Rudolph, uh, Tina Fey, uh, Amy Poehler thing. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Um, I like the Melissa McCarthy thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would prefer a host. I'd prefer a host that's bombing than no host at all. How'd, how'd you like the how'd you like Shallow? Oh yeah. Were that they was... performing in character? He wasn't. I I don't I don't know if either of them were. Wink did fuck my girl. I'm still standing here saying fuck the free world. <laughs> I love that movie. It's actually been a decent while since I've seen it all the way through. Like I've seen spots of it, but it's it's kind of cool to to rewatch it. It doesn't it doesn't all work perfectly. No. <laughs> but the last 30 minutes is so perfect. Ah, it's so and it's really well shot. It's uh, 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 Curtis uh, Curtis Hanson, baby. Hanson, right? Yeah. He's a he's a little bit of a Danny Boyle in terms of like genre hopping because he did L.A. Confidential. And, yeah, and he died. And right? he did Wonder Boys. He did die. Um, and then he did this. Um, oh, you want to hear my hot take on Danny Boyle? You got a hot take on Danny Boyle? I surprisingly do. Okay. I was watching a little of Twenty Eight Days Later. Loved that movie. He made that movie. Yeah. All right. Killian Murphy and uh, Naomi Harris zombie movie. Well, they all run together for me. I don't know if that's the one with Ving Rhames in the mall and Sarah. Uh, no, 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 no. That's Sarah Dawn of the Pauline. Dead. That's Dawn of the Dead. No, he did Twenty Eight Days Later, where they're infected. They're fast zombies. It's the oh, one where he wakes up. Rose Byrne is in Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Yes. Okay. I, I have seen this. Yeah. 
All the problems that I had with Slumdog Millionaire, with all the super Dutch angles and the hyper-edited shit and all that stuff, came up when I was watching 28 Days Later, which not, I really, really liked <laughs> But it's at not the time. every film. You're right. But if you watch something like Millions or... No, yeah, absolutely. The Beach, though, is um, kind of like this. What's the space one with the sunshine? Sunshine. Sunshine. They, I don't feel like they have a lot of hyper-edited... No. He's just so fucking diverse, man. I'm fascinated by this guy. Like, what draws him to a project? I don't know. Because now he's doing... No, he's he's off Bond. Is he doing Bond? Or is he, was it announced and then unannounced? And what was the deal with that? I feel like he was announced as doing the next Bond. Yeah, I think he's off of it because uh, I think I heard he was on it and then he was off. Uh, well, he sh- he's one we should eventually do the rundown on because he's got some misfires and he's fucking got some... steve jobs i kind of like steve jobs actually see that, that again i don't know that that's a great movie but no. i fucking love watching it i do too and I've seen it a million times he's so good mm. fastbender is so mm-hmm. good and, and, and that's more of a i mean that's more of a a sorkin movie than it's a yeah than a danny boyle well and it came out like fincher was attached to that at one point mm-hmm. and that was part of the whole sony hack email thing came out and some of that was leaked. Carrie mm-hmm. uh, Joji Fukunaga is the director of the Bond. 25. Ooh, that that's crazy. Yeah, could be excellent. Mm-hmm. Now this is the guy that shot and directed season one of True Detective. True Detective and and Maniac. I have forgotten more about Spectre. <laughs> Me too. Than maybe any movie <laughs> in the last ten years. It's a completely forgettable movie. It's just poof. <laughs> Yep, <laughs> that dude from Inglorious Bastards is in it. That's yeah. about all I remember. I saw. I, I sinned that whole movie. Oh, you even sinned it? You don't I'm pretty sure I sinned it. I know I watched it. Yeah, I watched it and sinned it. I can tell you some things about it, like she's in it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Batista's in it. Oh, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because yeah. he's uh, playing the. Uh, famous bond henchman yeah like the um uh, not odd job no it is odd it's job. odd job he's playing odd job yeah God, I, I think so a lot about this movie. i'm telling you man <laughs> it's, it's, meanwhile <laughs> you can recite space cowboys plot <laughs> i can do off this christmas party <laughs> and mcgruber mcgruber um horrible bosses too <laughs> According to this, though, Dave Bautista is playing somebody named Hinks, but uh, he doesn't look like a lot like the odd job type I character. For sure, he was odd job. Okay, I got an odd job last night. I did too. Mm-hmm. Maybe we were at the same place. Well, it was odd. <laughs> were you at Orchids of Asia? Yeah, that's right. Oh, the morning of and the night after. Yes, like twice within twenty four hours, that dude was there. Listen, if you're within a you know mile radius, I'm not yeah. judging. <laughs> I honestly, oh, I think we should reduce and relax the hand job laws in this country. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't I don't think I, I actually don't have much of a problem with any of that. Although they, if are, there's no traffic, that's what right? I'm saying. The human yeah. trafficking part of it is the part that's yeah. Worse, oh, worse. see, I see, I just forgot all about that part of the well, story. Well, the, the the you're right, and you're right. We're we're all right because there's it's it's perfectly encapsulated in that show Easy that I was telling you about yeah. on Netflix, where uh, the they have an open marriage. It's the girl from uh, Haunting of Hill House and some other dude. And he, some one of his friends says, hey, uh, this is the first night that you can go cheat. And so he tries to kind of flirt with his, his co-worker. And he's like, no, nah, I just wanted this to be random. So he goes to a rub and tug. And she like massages him for a little bit. And she's like, now's the time where you roll over and I give you a hand job. And he was like, oh, okay. I mean, 
do I, I have to pay extra? She's like, you give me $50 and I'll give you a handjob. And it was very businesslike. It's hmm. not like she's romancing him or anything like that. She's just like. You know, I don't think that would do it for me. I got to say. They're, they're, they're proficient, apparently. My brain and my penis are way too connected for that to ever work for me. What? I, look, okay. I feel like. <laughs> I will specify if that I, was, I would tell you if I had done this before. I have never done this. I have before. never done this before either. Um, I would not tell you if I had. Um, <laughs> if I were in a sensory deprivation chamber uh-huh. and something just started rubbing my dick, uh-huh. I'm not sure I would ever get off from that. Uh, I think they have ways. My point is, my point is for me, my brain has to be attached to the process in some capacity, really? and I don't think it could be. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, <laughs> don't you want the person giving you a hand job to want to give you a hand job? Yes, doesn't that improve the hand job but experience? They get the fifty dollars, so that makes them want to give you the, the hand job. I don't think it does. I mean, I think it's it's a necessary. I'm actually process. trying to. Like I'm amazed that pe- that guys are able to get off in that situation. Oh yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. My penis doesn't work that way. I know a lot of dudes that uh, I used to hang around with that it was just a regular thing. It was like you know I went to get my haircut, went to the rub and tug, went to mm-hmm. you know the dentist or whatever. It's like the older brother on Entourage who went to a rub and tug. Remember Johnny Drama? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that yeah. actually. That the scene that makes me laugh with Johnny Drama, the thing that I always remember the most, whatever, is that uh, that one where Turtle has the offer to have sex with the furry, and uh, he can't do it. He just can't bring himself to do it. Uh-huh. And then you see uh, Kevin Dillon like pick up the pick up his, the uh, Turtle's costume, and and Turtle's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm gonna go get some pussy." <laughs> He doesn't care, man. He will fuck anything. <laughs> like the last scene of that episode is him in that furry outfit with the girl bent over in front of him. He's just like slapping her on the ass. <laughs> 